Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. One consequence of Donald Trump's uh, attack on John Lewis is that it, the latest count that we've seen here is 38 Democrats, congressional Democrats, who now say they will not be there on Friday. Donald Trump at noon may be sworn in, but they are not going to be in the crowd. They'll, they'll uh, uh, not, not even show up, may not even be in Washington. Uh, and, of course, they are led by John Lewis himself. So another question for you. Are they doing the right thing? Send your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. I got to tell you, my answer, absolutely doing the right thing. Should they show up? Hell no, they should not show up. And it's interesting now that what some of them, and I would be one of these, I wouldn't show up if I remember Congress. Well, it started out with people who just say, look, I disagree with what Donald Trump has, has said. I disagree with what he wants to do. I don't think he's fit to be president. So it's not something I want to celebrate. Well, that changed once he attacked John Lewis and John Lewis said he was not going to the inauguration. Now it has really become, I think, a question of taking sides. Who do you stand with? Do you stand on Friday with Donald Trump or do you stand with John Lewis? Hey, boys and girls, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer uh, for, I think, for any Democrat in Congress. And some of the brave ones have stood up, good friends of ours. John Yarmuth from Kentucky is saying it wasn't an easy decision, but he's making the right one. It's a tough decision to actually say you're boycotting the inauguration. I have great respect for the peaceful transition of power and certainly for the office of the presidency. Yeah, but he is not going to be there. Our good friend Mark Ticano. From uh, Southern California out in the Riverside area, Mark Ticano says, uh-uh, not me. People have not forgotten uh, that he attacked a Mexican-American judge, that he attacked a Gold Star family, and now a civil rights icon. I cannot pretend that this is a normal uh, transition of power. I think it's an important point there that Mark made. Let's remember. Remember all those ugly attacks during the campaign? During, yeah. yeah. Right? And you might say, okay, then he was a candidate. You know, mean things sometimes get said during the campaign that you don't mean, uh, and you move on once you're elected or not, or after the election, right? Not Donald Trump. No, same style. And then finally, Barbara Lee, a congresswoman from Oakland, California, uh, again saying, don't count her in that crowd. Nothing has changed since the campaign. You know, I don't think that's something that I need to do in terms of celebrating. So, yeah, nothing to celebrate there, right? So that's uh, 
That's the honor roll. We ought to put up, uh, Peter, forget. I don't know. What's the count now? 38? It's over 40 at this point. Over, a couple, yeah, all right. A couple of new names. We, we read some of them yesterday. A couple of yeah. names. Don Beyer from Don Beyer uh, from Virginia. Brendan Boyle from Pennsylvania. Anthony Brown from Maryland. Judy Chu and Zoe Lofgren from California. Uh, Keith Ellison mm. is officially not going. Our friend Raul Ruiz, who was in here uh, two mm-hmm. weeks ago, he is now not going. Uh, Adam Smith isn't going, and of course we heard from John Yarmouth, who said he's not going, plus uh, several others. We'll tweet out a link so you can see all of the people who aren't going. Make sure that your elected official is not going to the inauguration. Uh, and as we said yesterday, that's uh, your senator. We haven't heard yet from any senators who are not going. No. Right? Nope. Not that I've seen. But members of the House, standing in solidarity with John Lewis, uh, 224 202-224-3121. Two two four three one two one. That is the main switchboard number for the United States Congress. They got a whole army of operators there. You can call and talk to any member of Congress, uh, talk to their office, any member of the United States Senate, and just say, "Stay away, stay away on Friday. Stand up with John Lewis. Don't stand with Donald Trump." Yep. CNN putting out a statement yesterday saying we to Mr. to President-elect Donald Trump, we stand with Jim Acosta. He's our man. Tom Le- Tom Lobianco is our man, political reporter for CNN, <laughs> uh, here in the studio with us. Hey Tom, how are you? Morning. All right. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. So, um, will Jim still have the job as CNN's main man at the White House? Well, sure. Of course. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, does uh, does Donald Trump tell us who our uh, correspondent is? Uh, well, no. I would hope. Yeah, I would hope not. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, of course he does. Uh, I would hope not. Uh, Donald Trump uh, and his spokesperson Kellyanne Conway said that. Uh, let's just start with some facts that that CNN and BuzzFeed both did the same thing that they both published. Uh, this unverified, unsubstantiated intelligence report. True or not? Absolutely untrue. You know, what they're pointing to, what's funny about this, you know, I I remember some of the email traffic when this was happening. I was not a part of the story, but, you know, they tell it internally. They tell us, you know, how to handle this because it's incredibly sensitive. You know, I'm not going to say whether BuzzFeed was right or wrong to publish the entire thing, but I do know that we did not publish the entire thing, and we did not link to any stories that published the entire thing. Okay, so anyone who says that is wrong, and Kellyanne is wrong, and yeah, I think Spicer said something like that. He's wrong, too. On this one, they're wrong. In fact, the CNN story didn't even give a hint as to what these unsubstantiated rumors about Donald Trump's personal life were. Right. I mean, you couldn't tell from reading the CNN story what it was about at all. I mean, here's the thing, and I understand, you know, uh, you know, the president, president-elect, is very angry about this, and you know, understandably so. There's allegations that he was compromised by a foreign entity, by a foreign nation. This is stunning. The story that we wrote was hung on the hook of this was included in the intelligence briefing. That was the center of the story. If it hadn't been included in the intelligence briefing, I'm not sure that we would have written anything. But it was deemed incredibly important enough to go before the sitting president and the incoming president and say, this is something you need to be aware of. The CIA, the NSA, they all decided this was – they had enough confidence in in the veracity, if you will, of the report or that that they thought it was important enough that they had to brief the president of the United States – the president-elect, 
and the eight leaders, intelligence leaders of Congress about. Exactly, yes. That in itself is news. Right, absolutely. And that's what we wrote. You know, without going into, and at some point, look, this is where the BuzzFeed question comes in, right? At some point, you have to say, well, what the hell are they talking about? You know, the the public wants to know, okay, well, why are you talking about a, you can't just say they had a meeting where they talked about a thing that was maybe important and maybe included some things, but we really can't tell you. Like, that's not good enough for the public. You know, they have to know something. So that's where the line is. My, you know, my wife and I were talking about this last night, okay? You know, where do you draw the line on these things, on what, you know, whether to talk about an allegation and how you talk about an allegation, how you report it? Um, you know, it's like that old joke that politicians always throw at us where they say, you know, you're going to try and slip the you're going to try to slip the allegation in the question. So, you know, Senator, is it true that you screwed that little child last year? Right? <laughs> you know, this is that's a joke that they throw at us, you yeah. know, all, you know, back and forth. And obviously nobody really does that. But that's the worry. That's what you don't want to do. And I think, you know, what was going, you know, what was going on here is that, you know, we stuck to the conservative side on this. Okay, that was a very conscious decision. It was run up and down the chain. A lot of veteran journalists, not least of which were the, you know, the incredible reporters who worked on this, Mm -hmm. made a decision to stick, stay conservative, small C conservative with that story. Now, I'm not going to get into what, you know, about what BuzzFeed did here. But is not not at all the same, and I th- frankly, I think it's irresponsible for the White House to say that it is the same, and for the White House to put out bad information. Um, have you been able to follow, pay any attention to the 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 uh, current race for DNC chair? How's oh, it going, and how's that going? A turn little out? bit, you know. I'll, I'll point everyone to my colleague Eric Bradner, who's uh, done some great writing on this. Um, At CNN.com. At CNN.com. CNN. He's got a nice story out this morning. Um, He was out in Phoenix this weekend. Um, You know, it looks like um, it's splintered, but Eric Bradner, who we worked worked together out in Indiana. We used to cover Mike Pence Mm. out in Indiana in the State House before coming here. Um, He makes a really interesting point that a lot of people he was talking to out there were saying, okay, it's a fight for the Democratic Party. Do we need the Democratic Party? Hmm. Do we need the Democratic Party as a vehicle to achieve our means? That's that's the question they were talking about. Maybe you don't. These were members of the DNC who were raising this question. Some members or... of the DNC, uh, liberal activists, um, progressives. You know, you name it. People who, and this kind of goes back to remember when uh, everyone was shocked that Obama created OFA, a sort of a parallel campaign structure. Oh yeah, sure. Right, and a lot of people were saying, well, hey, the DNC does that. Well. Obama and the DNC did that. So, you know, maybe it's a natural progression. I mean, look, the the underlying fight about the identity of the Democratic Party, not as a structure, but as like a, you know, 50 percent of the the political populace. Right. Uh, is is a big question. There's no doubt about it. Do you know, does the does the party end up identifying with an Ellison? Uh, somebody like a Perez. Perez, who, you know, two years ago would have been viewed to the left of Warren. All right. Maybe, you know, in the ballpark of Ellison. All right. But now, you know, the, given the circumstances, especially with a lot of early endorsements for Ellison, a lot of labor endorsements for Ellison is now seen as kind of like a quasi centrist, even though he's, you know, far from it. Yeah. It, it, it seems that this race for DNC chair has become a replay of the Sanders-Clinton yes. pr- totally. primary. Absolutely. Th- that issue, when you had Clinton won that nomination, I mean, the 
anger at the, you saw it, the anger at the DNC from the delegates. You know, all the Bernie delegates who are being tamped down. Uh, and this is just, some of this is just the way it goes. But then you have to, there's a line. You have to decide, okay, how much are you trying to tamp down something that's real? And how much is just people having, you know, sore, you know, being a sore loser, sour grapes, all right? But I think the steam, the populist anger was real on both sides of the aisle. One side addressed it, the other side didn't. And now we're seeing it play out. And we're seeing it play out with Keith Ellison, uh, Bernie Sanders, um, supporter during the primary, uh, representing a real populist kind of wing, if you will, of the Democratic Party. Uh, And Tom Perez, who, by the way, is himself a real great progressive and a great liberal. uh, But in this case, is wearing the hat of the establishment party. Yeah. Shocking. Uh, Yeah. I'm sure he was encouraged to run by President Obama who has gone out of his way to praise Tom Perez, not saying anything about Keith Ellison, while insisting <laughs> he does not have a dog in this fight. <laughs> of course. Uh, and so that's that. That's how it's playing out. And um, uh, I think it, 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 it's going to really determine which direction the Democratic Party goes in and whether there are any profound changes or just more of the same. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Josh Letterman has been White House correspondent for the Associated Press uh, at, uh, well, of course, in the briefing rooms at the White House. And moving over to the State Department soon, joining us in studio. Josh, let's talk about the outgoing first, because you've written, so we know, as Peter just said, that President-elect Trump plans to take a sort of a, a low-key weekend after he's sworn in. Um, what's President Obama going to be doing? President Obama will be leaving right from the Capitol, from the swearing-in. Uh, he'll head to Andrews Air Force Base by helicopter. Uh, he'll then He's going to do a farewell event for uh, staff that have worked for him and for the administration generally uh, over the last eight years um, at the Air Force Base. And then he'll board, uh, well, it won't really be Air Force One when he's on it anymore. That uh, moniker only applies when the president is on it. But he will board the presidential aircraft for one final flight uh, to a destination that the White House has not yet disclosed. But he will take some time uh, with his family outside of Washington before uh, coming back, you know, in a few weeks to uh, where he's going to spend some time with his family in uh, Colorado. Uh, actually, don't mean to one up you, but the White House did say this morning, admitted this morning, which I suspected that he's going to Palm, Palm Springs. Sp- yeah. Okay. No, okay. We Palm. knew that, but we weren't allowed to say oh. it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, we, now we can. Now we can talk about it. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, right. Uh, so it is, but it, it's the same plane, right? It just doesn't, not called Air Force One. That's right. Yeah. How does he get back? To the commercial hitchhike, really, <laughs> or he can rent a plane commercial. if he likes. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? But I mean, it's just so imagine you imagine getting on a flight with Barack Obama. <laughs> uh, former presidents don't have 
uh, an Air Force One, right, or an, uh, an Air Force plane. Right? No, they have no. Secret Service protection for their lives. Um, yeah, but they will not have. They don't have access to uh, you know a plane that they can use at their disposal. Yeah. So, um, what what is in store for the post Obama presidency for for him? How's he going to be spending his time? What's he going to do? We know. Well, quite a bit. He is going to be, of course, building uh, his library and presidential center in Chicago. He's going to have to raise close to half a billion dollars for that. Um, the fundraising hasn't really kicked up yet, so that'll be happening. He also wants to write a book, uh, and we know that his chief speechwriter, Cody Keenan, is going to be continuing with him uh, to help him with that book. Uh, he plans to keep working on the, the My Brother's Keeper initiative, which he just recently renamed, but focuses on uh, communities of color and, and young men in particular. Um, and, uh, you know, we know he plans to try to stay involved also in politics. He has this redistricting effort with um, Eric Holder, his former attorney general, to try to help Democrats position themselves better ahead of the 2020 uh, redrawing of the congressional map. Uh, and um, who knows? We may see him on TV, digital media. We know that he's spoken to uh, power agent Ari Emanuel, uh, the, the brother of Rahm Emanuel, about post-presidential arrangements and, and has a lot in store. So in terms of uh, speaking engagements, you speaking mean? Speaking these other ways to try to, yeah, stay involved. I in, understand Goldman Sachs pays a lot of money for speeches. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they can make a, a hefty sum for some of those speeches. As, as, as other former presidents have. Right. Right, yeah. Uh, but he will be based here in Washington for a couple of years or right. long term? Uh, right. For a couple of years. The Obamas have said that they plan to stay in Washington uh, until their youngest daughter uh, finishes high school and is able to, you know, go off to college without having to change high schools uh, midstream. Uh, so we uh, they've said that they plan to move to New York after that. New York, not New Chicago. York. Yeah. The president has talked over the years about really wanting to reclaim uh, his sense of Anonymity, and he thinks that New York would offer a good chance. Where you know, if if he puts on a a, a baseball cap and a, a sweatshirt, he can kind of walk down the street in in relative obscurity. Um, I think you know, for for those of us that realize that he's the most recognizable face on the planet, that's yeah. not exactly going to stop. So that may be a little bit of a, a pipe dream, but certainly you know, the the bustle of New York might provide a little bit more cover. Right under President Obama, Josh, you have had the. Uh privilege and the honor, and you've done a great job of sitting there right in the middle seat in the front row of the briefing room. You get the first question from the press secretary and often from the president uh, at briefings or news conferences. Now the Trump administration, Sean Spicer, the incoming press secretary, has said, and Ryan's previous incoming chief of staff has said, they're considering moving the briefings and news conferences out of the White House into the old executive office building. How important is it for the White House press corps to be in the White House? It's incredibly important for the press corps to be in the White House. I think that one of the things that's happened over the last few days is that uh, the press corps uh, and the the Trump people were almost talking at cross purposes because what uh, what what the press is really uh, concerned about maintaining is the permanent presence of the press corps with our offices, regular access every day to the White House, both to our workspace there and also to staffers there. And what the Trump people seem to be talking about, um, you know, Spicer and previous over the weekend, was holding press conferences in places other than the briefing room. News conferences. News right. conferences where the president right. would take questions uh, or possibly briefings. But, you know, moving that to somewhere like um, the the executive office building next door where they could accommodate more people. You know, the president already does news conferences in the 
East Room, at the Pentagon, you know, when he's abroad. They don't all have to be in the briefing room. But what in, in fact, I would add, right, when the president, as opposed to the briefings, you're right. We have to distinguish between briefings and presidential news conferences, right? Right. When they when they hold a presidential news conference in the briefing room, it's a disaster. People faint. People faint, and Bill <laughs> Press has to usher them out and and perform you carry know, them well, out. Right? All kinds of emergency medical care <laughs> for total strangers. But but we do know it's just crazy to have those in the briefing room, and usually most of the time they have them either in the East Room or in the South Court Auditorium right. across the street. But certainly, what we're concerned about is some type of slippery slope where they're trying to edge the press corps out of having a, you know permanent eyes and ears inside the building, um, you know, uh, unfettered, and that would. Be be something that would be hugely problematic. And and the, the declaration that there's no difference between the old executive office building and the White House is just not true. Correct. Not at all. They're they're two different buildings. They're two different buildings, and 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 in terms of being able to have quick access to information, mm-hmm. a sense of who's coming and going, who's meeting with the president. Not that we see everything, but we see enough that we can provide some level of information to the American people about what's happening, you know, in the West Wing, and that's something that's incredibly important for journalists to be able to do their their duties. Yeah. In fact, it just occurred to me uh, that we're not even those of us who have access to the White House, have a hard path. We're not even allowed to go back and forth between those two buildings without an escort. You can't even be in the, currently you can't even be in the old executive office building without an escort. Um, that would be something that clearly would have to change. So, right. So if we were, if you, for example, had your office over there right. and you wanted to see somebody in the White House, you couldn't just walk across the street and say, and you know, knock on the door or call them up or whatever. Right. You'd have to have an escort take you over there. Totally changes the access. And, exactly. And the, uh, the opportunity. Um, and um, so what about the this uh, argument also on the part of the Trump administration that, well, we ha- we're forced into doing this because Donald Trump is so popular and there's such a demand from people all over the world to come to his presidential news conferences. Is that any different than it was when Obama took over? Well, you know, it's a little difficult to tell because we don't necessarily know how many people apply for credentials to go to an Obama news conference. And I'm sure that in the early days of the Obama administration, there was immense interest, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, – and and certainly, I don't think any journalists have any problem if they want to have a news conference that 300 people are at. That's not that doesn't pose any you know restriction on on us. Um, you know, yeah. but whether if that's used as a as a, a rationale to you know remove our access to you know to the West Wing or or, or, or to the president and his staff, that would be you know hugely troublesome. Right, uh, because it seems to me, as a member of the White House Correspondents Association, you could accommodate that large of a crowd in the East. I mean, usually President Obama's news conferences, at least until maybe the last couple, have been been huge crowds. People I'd never see before otherwise. And a lot of foreign journalists, right, that we are not always at the White House, they come for that presidential news conference. They hold it in the East Room and they pack them in. Right. Which Donald Trump could do. Absolutely. Yeah. Jason Dick is the leadership and enterprise editor at Roll Call, CQ Roll Call here in Washington, D.C., joins us in studio. Happy New Year, Jason. Good to see you. It's great to be here, Bill. 
So uh, Donald Trump is uh, actually tweeting this morning about... Uh, Wait, Donald Trump is tweeting? <laughs> oh, yes. Shocking. <laughs> shocking, shocking. That is the news of the I'm day. I'm shocked, shocked that gambling is going on here. <laughs> shocked, I tell you. <laughs> uh, and talking about what we can expect at this inauguration, Peter. He says, quote, people are pouring into Washington pouring in, in, in record pouring numbers. In. Like the rain. Exactly. <laughs> Bikers for Trump record, are on their record way. Record numbers is the key phrase. Yeah. It will be a great Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He also says the same people who did the phony election polls and were so wrong are now doing approval rating polls. They are rigged just like before. Now, really quickly, uh, we're tweeting at BP Show. At BP Show, we had uh, Diane Williams tweeted us. She says, I'm a biker, and I'll be there this weekend. Good for her. But she'll be here for the Women's March, oh, not yes. for the inauguration <laughs> of Donald Trump. She said, bikers for Trump do not represent all of us. Go, uh, Diane. All right. So, Jason, uh, a couple of th- 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 two different aspects of that. First of all, what is uh, your word about the crowds expected at the inauguration? Everything that we seem to be hearing is somewhere in that like, 700, 800,000 range, which, which, which would be you know, roughly a million off from the first uh, Obama inauguration and a little bit less than the second Obama inauguration. Right. So hardly the biggest crowd ever seen for the inauguration. Uh, probably, Not that that's the biggest, uh, right. most important factor. Right. But but it, it seems like, you know, the, if it is in that eight to 900,000 range, that's about what most inaugurations have gotten, at least in like kind of the modern era, you know, since Reagan. Uh, it, it's somewhere Obama hum- being the exception. Obama being the exception, correct. Right, right. So, there is something. I don't want to say maybe <laughs> clinically, psychologically about Donald Trump. Everything about him has to be the biggest ever, the biggest whatever. Right. That's you know. part of the brand, right? I mean, the, yeah, the, this yeah. this is. The you know he is not just a real estate guy. I mean he's a brand guy, and he sells the name Trump. He sells the name the the branding of it, and it's it's a it's something that is dedicated to sort of this rich guy persona, and everything is great, and everything is is gilded with gold, um, and even in failure, you know the, the, everything is the greatest ever, and uh, so it's it's uh, a it's a it's a warping of reality. And these flat out assertions, which have no basis in reality, Correct. I, I, I keep coming back to his claim that you could not buy an evening gown in Washington D.C. because of such a demand, and all the department stores said, "That's not true. We got That's, plenty yeah. of them." I, I, and I, it's it's unclear where that came from. I mean. Rizix is remodeling on Connecticut Avenue, and maybe they, you know somebody on the Trump team drove by it and and saw that it was closed, and and just I mean it immediately made uh, I I guess this assertion that they're all out. But the 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 key thing there is that, and it I'm guessing that most people you know who are in the Trump team and know that he makes these sort of claims is that people do listen to what he says. They don't particularly, and they don't read fact checkers as much right. <laughs> as, as they just read that okay. the president elect of the United States said right. that there are no gowns left. So the second part of his statement here is that um, the polls again are wrong. Right, they're rigged. In they're fact. rigged. They're right, wrong. they're wrong. And the poll that shows that he has a forty percent approval rating, again somewhat lower than we saw for. Barack Obama when he was coming into office. Around 39 points lower than when Barack Obama <laughs> was coming into office. Uh, give or take give 39 or, you know, right. points. But, you know, you have these error wow. margins, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think it's important to point out that the the polls nationally were not wrong. I mean, the, the, the margin, Hillary Clinton's margin of victory in the popular vote uh, was in line 
when you take into account the error margins or or hitting it almost you know perfectly in some cases with what it it turned out to be the polls were off in swing states that went for him you know the, uh, sort of unexpectedly part of this sort of yeah. blue wall in Michigan in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin in particular uh, the you know the error margins in North Carolina and Florida they were they were right in line kind of with what with what we were expecting the the real sort of wild cards were in in the swing states so it it's you know again like changing the perception of reality i mean the polls were actually pretty spot on they may have been you know a, a bit you know we, we saw so many of them it's hard, it was hard to keep up with them uh but like if you look at the averages if you look at just like the the most uh you know reputable ones they were pretty close to what Turned out to be the popular vote. Um, with a, with a, is this sort of like the high point for any president when they're coming into office? In in, in other words, if it's forty percent now, uh, it doesn't go in any direction but down. It typically doesn't. However, I mean, we saw we saw the you know exception with Bush. I mean, Bush George W. Bush came into office with you know slightly lower than what Obama yeah, but then has. Nine eleven, right? But then we had September eleventh. Uh, yeah. So and and you know it's a similar dynamic. You know, he lost the popular vote. He didn't lose it by three million votes. He lost it around five hundred thousand votes. Uh, and you know, and it came down to a very close you know recount in in Florida which is still in dispute <laughs> among among a lot of people. So Bush had a lot going against him and he wasn't as low as Trump is being measured right now. It is very difficult. It's it's particularly difficult when you set sky high expectations for things. I mean even on something as sort of I mean when when Trump was starting to to sort of dance around things of you know with when pe- when he would go to these campaign rally campaign setting rallies the the victory tour and people were start chanting lock her up you know he he seemed to backtrack by that and said like didn't we have fun but of course that's over now we're not going to mm-hmm. do that suggesting that he might begin to triangulate a little bit and and a- acknowledge that government is a little difficult and congress is incredibly slow in in getting things done and it just doesn't happen with the snap of your fingers particularly with a somebody who is who has been in charge of a privately held company i mean he hasn't even had to really answer to a board of directors even yeah, uh, yeah, in, in his, right. his, his, enti- his entire life so the the idea that you'll just snap your fingers and have a replacement for the affordable care act which took you know well over a year of public hearings of you know compromises of backs and back and forth i mean it's it's kind of absurd right um so in terms of back to crowds at the inauguration uh, there will be um, quite a few empty seats uh, from members of Congress. Right. Here is a Mark P- Mark Ticano, um, Democrat from Southern California, uh, explaining his decision not to attend. People have not forgotten uh, that he attacked a Mexican-American judge, that he attacked a Gold Star family, and now a civil rights icon. I cannot pretend that this is a normal uh, transition of power. Uh, there are, by our count, uh, a little over forty now right. Democrats. Who I think said, I think it's at forty-eight. Was the is it really? Last oh, whoa. It, 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 <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised right. if it grows a little bit. Also, you know, after after, so. after today. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. This uh, is the 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 TIF. What's be- this all about? I don't remember this happening. Republicans refusing to go to Obama's administration uh, inauguration. Uh, yeah, if if there were, they were. It was in the single digits. I'm I'm guessing. Uh, I mean, I I don't recall that either. I don't even recall pursuing that storyline uh, in, in, no, in covering either. No, Not even a Steve King. Uh, right. And, and the, you know, the, I think it seems like the John Lewis 
you know, the the argument that he or the the Twitter blasting he got into with with John Lewis over the weekend was a um you know, almost a gift to a lot of Democrats saying, yeah. okay, you know, th- that's uh, it. Like, right. And it, it reminded a lot of people of how they felt during the campaign, <laughs> that, that, that they were they were feeling, you know, that they, they knew that what? this was an extraordinary set of circumstances and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Now we now we can actually bow out. Now I can wash my hair that day. And... <laughs> Yeah. And, oh, and, well, and I, I really can't reorganize my sock drawer. Right, darn, you know. Um, I was going to take those books down to the little free library. You know. uh, and, and uh, you know, so now they have the ready-made excuse. I mean, he has, he has attacked a, uh, I mean, a, you know, on one of your screens over there, you know, and, and the other side of the thing, he's, he's John McCain. You know, he, he attacked John McCain, you know, early in the campaign. And now he's attacked John Lewis. He's a bipartisan, you know, he, a, attacker right. of American heroes, uh, legitimate American heroes. Uh, I've always, have been in his crosshairs, and I think it's just you know some people are like you know that I don't need to be a part of this. I don't need to. I mean, I'm for Democrats, particularly House Democrats, they are in the lowest part of the echelon. I mean, Senate Democrats at least are able to stall some legislation uh, and and be a part of of uh, you know some some negotiations or some power plays. House Democrats are just getting getting railroaded. Too. So the, yeah. so protest is really one of the more viable actions that they have allowed. You know. Uh, also, them. when you point out that uh, that Donald Trump gave them the the perfect excuse, meaning when he attacked John Lewis, then it's sort of like, okay, who do I stand? Do I stand with John Lewis or do I stand with Donald Trump? Right. It's a very easy, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's no a very brainer. easy choice for them. Right. And and also, it's not like they're, they're losing a lot. I mean, particularly most of the people who are who are not, you know, taking part, they're 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 in districts that their their constituents might actually be angry with them if they attended the inauguration. So it's it's one other thing I wanted to note too is that uh, a friend of mine uh, over the weekend pointed out and he's he's made a uh, a study of of Donald Trump uh, and and particularly his connections to professional wrestling uh, his his like life work at this point <laughs> um, and he he noted that yeah you know this this thing with John Lewis is like kind of gross you know I mean it's just it's just sort of sort of bizarre but also nobody's talking about golden showers anymore yeah yeah. Well, yeah, except for, but, you know, it's, except I, I want, for the CIA. I want to ask you a question because I think there are two camps. I think there are people who think that Trump uses his Twitter account and his sort of bombastic statements to deflect from the real issue. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people, and I think I sort of fall into this camp, that he is just this – that he's just like a ganglion just nerve. <laughs> that he just sees something and he can't help it. I don't know that there's this long – Game. I think maybe in his mind he realizes that whatever he says is going to make news. Right. But I don't think that this is this long game of well, they're not going to talk about that report anymore because I'm going to beat up on John Lewis. Yeah. Where do you fall on that? I probably a little bit somewhere in the middle, and I apologize for that squishy kind of answer. I mean, cuck. One, 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 one of the <laughs> Jason Dick. Cuck. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm no, sorry. It's, no, it's right there. I'm you sorry. Know, it's, I had to. It's, I, no, it's, you know, dick cuck, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, had to. We're in a new era. I'm sorry. You were so, saying. No, uh, we're in we, a new can era. We, era. Can we get back to golden showers? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> can we clean it up a little bit and talk about golden showers, please? PP, please. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This 
is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, watch out. Donald Trump isn't even in the White House, and he's already started waging war against the media. Of course, that ought to come as no surprise. After all, uh, Donald Trump's uh, campaign was mostly about attacking the press. Remember, he banned the, the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, and other outlets from attending some of his rallies. Every day at every event, he pointed to the media uh, and attacked them and uh, turned the crowd against them. He even singled out some reporters by name, saying that they were unfair because they wrote critical stories about them. And last week at his first news conference, all we saw was more of the same. First news conference as president-elect attacking CNN and, and BuzzFeed, calling them fake news, even denying Jim Acosta from CNN the opportunity to ask him a question. And now they say that Trump's considering evicting the press, evicting the press corps from the White House and maybe even taking press credentials away from some reporters that they don't consider to be friends of Donald Trump. Well, you know, I attend the daily White House briefings, and I think I speak for all White House reporters when I say over our dead bodies. Will he get away with that? We will not accept being thrown out of the White House. It's important that we be there to do our job. And we will not accept that certain reporters get banned from the White House because they write critical stories. Whether Donald Trump likes it or not, we're going to continue to do our job, which is to ask tough questions and to tell the American people the truth. And if Donald Trump doesn't like it, then he should not have run for president in the first place. And the more he attacks the media, the more it pisses me off. This is The Bill Press Show.